This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. Using the Global Precipitation Measurement Core Observatory satellite launched in 2014, NASA and Japan Aerospace Exploration Agency researchers have taken the first 3D images of raindrops and snowflakes. The GPM snapshots will help research meteorologist Joe Munchak from the Goddard Space Flight Center to determine precipitation rates and to support the improvement of weather models. As part of our Who's Who at NASA podcast series, we spoke with Joe Munchak. What can raindrop size tell us? It tells us a lot about how the raindrop formed um, and a lot about the type of storm that produced it. So um, taken as, as an individual raindrop, we, we can't maybe necessarily tell too much. We know that very large raindrops have to form from melting snowflakes or hailstones for, for the very largest ones because there's simply no other way to um, grow that just by collection of water before it would break up hydrodynamically. Um, but we know a lot of, when, we, when you look at the distribution of sizes within a storm, um, that, that certainly tells us a lot about whether it was dominantly um, a storm that had a lot of ice that then melted or if it was one that was mostly the collision and coalescence of cloud, of a very small cloud droplets. And, and what is so valuable, particularly about a three-dimensional image? So that's um, one of the capabilities that we have with GPM is to, with, with the radar, is to actually probe into storms and get very fine vertical detail, as well as the horizontal dimensions as the satellite passes over to, to give us a full three-dimensional view of the storm. And uh, the vertical um, component really matters because we can see at the top of the storm cloud um, how the particles start to form, and then as they fall through the cloud, how they grow. Are they um, collecting other, other particles by collisions? Um, are they shrinking due to evaporation? Where do they melt and become rain, or, or do they end up falling on the ground as snow? That's, that's the detail that we can get from this 3D picture. And so how can this information be used uh, to improve forecast models and then also to help people prepare for extreme weather? Okay, so the forecast improvement uh, comes in a number of areas. First of all, by knowing the size of the raindrops, we actually get a more accurate measure of the amount of rain that's falling, and that's, that's very important to know. This is the first time we've had the technology to observe this on a global scale, and so with the more accurate numbers, we can determine, whereas before our uncertainty was maybe a factor of 2 or 50% for any um, individual storm now, it's closer to 10% um, under certain conditions. And so we can, with that additional certainty now, we can um, know whether or not a particular storm is likely to produce a flash flood or not by whether or not the rainfall amount will exceed the, the threshold needed to um, cause enough runoff to cause flooding conditions. So that's, that's kind of the immediate impact that, that we get from this. But we also, um, as, as we collect this data on these just the microphysical properties of the storms, and it's not just the particle size, but it's um, the relative amounts of, of rain and snow, like I said, um, how they vary with respect to environmental parameters such as the humidity and temperature, um, and where they vary regionally. Uh, once we start to build a that picture, we can start to see if, um, if various for, um, weather forecast models and climate models can produce those same type of patterns. Um, 
because a lot of those are, are very heavily parameterized in the models and, and things that really were just guesses or educated guesses. Um, but now that we have this global data set, we can start to check on those guesses and see if, if those parameters need um, any, any updating. So that's, that's an area of research that I expect to really um, take off in the next uh, few years as, as GPM data becomes more and more refined and um, the data set becomes more robust as we collect it over uh, more and more years. Why has it been a challenge to see the variance of droplet sizes until this point? So it's very difficult to measure a raindrop size in a storm because it's something that we can measure in situ. We have some instruments that, that can actually measure through uh, lasers and in other means individual drops as they're falling, but those necessarily have to be point measurements. And they're almost always on the ground. There are a few airborne instruments that can make similar measurements, but, but these, these aircraft, um, there's a few research aircraft that do this, so we never really knew if they were a representative of sample. Um, the satellite gives us that um, measure of representativeness, and of course the satellite has its own um, shortcomings in that it's, it's a radar-based measurement. There are still some assumptions that go into it, and, and the size of the footprint and whether or not the drop size, the raindrops are uniform within that satellite viewprint is, is probably um, a big source of uncertainty for us still that we're trying to understand. The fact that it's a global measurement kind of supersedes sees all that, and we are going to get some more information from the satellite measurements before um, that we didn't really have before from these uh, point sources on the ground. And you mentioned the radar. Can you talk about how these images are taken and what technology makes this possible? Uh, so I assume it sure. includes the radar and the imagery. Yeah, so, yeah. so um, GPM is a satellite that stands for Global Precipitation Measurement. And it has a couple of ways of measuring precipitation. And, and the radar one is called the Dual Frequency Precipitation, or DPR for short. That was provided and built by JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency. And it's unique in that it measures, uh, it's, it's a weather radar, and most people I think are familiar with the weather radar images that you can see on TV or get on your phone. Um, that those are usually you know, called Doppler radars, and, and they're based on the ground. And they operate at, at a single frequency. Um, what's unique about DPR is, as the name suggests, it operates at two frequencies. Um, it's in, and it's on a spaceborne plat platform. But the two frequencies are what gives you the, the ability to determine the raindrop size, because um, the way that the radar energy reflects off the raindrops is very dependent on both the wavelength of the radar signal and the size of the raindrop. And so when you have two different wavelengths for the same raindrop size, you'll get two different reflectivities. And from that, you can back out the two pieces of relevant information are the average size of the raindrops and in the number, the overall number of raindrops. Whereas if you just had a single frequency radar, you could make a guess as to the size of the raindrops and get the number or make a guess as to the number and get the size, but you never have the independent information to determine those two quantities. And so uh, what is next for you in regards to this technology? So I think we still need to understand the measurements um, that, we're, we're that are being taken. This is the first time we've, that we've had capability in space. It's the first of its kind measurement. We've had airborne measurements from dual, from dual frequency radars for a while, but um, those are looking at much smaller areas and there are some um, additional uncertainties that get introduced when you put on a, when you're put on a spaceform platform. So I think we, we need to spend some time in, in the next few years to understand all the potential sources of error um, that, that come from these spaceform measurements. 
But once once we get a handle on those, I think we'll have these global maps of raindrop size, and we'll start to understand what you know, the, vari the variable processes that um, cause that cause those to change globally um, that that we're observing. So after that, what, what's the next step? That's that's a good question. We're already thinking about the next generation of precipitation measurement satellites and kind of what needs to be done from that perspective. And what we're really looking at is understanding the actual process of how the raindrops form, what causes a cloud to start raining or start snowing, what are the kind of the environmental thresholds, how rapidly do um, does the onset of precipitation occur. And for that, we really need to look at um, measurements that are very closely spaced in time. So some of the concepts um, that we have are, are sort of like cubes, trains of CubeSats or small satellites that observe a storm every minute or two for over a period of 10 or 15 minutes. And, and that's a way that we can really start to understand the process. The challenge with that, of course, is how do we get really high quality measurements from a small platform because um, the wavelengths we need to look at for um, precipitation are larger. For example, the ones on the DPR are, are roughly on the order of a centimeter. And you need a large aperture and you need, you need a large satellite to um, house the instrument that you need to do that. So, so we have to figure out how to um, get these frequent revisits while at the same time um, not having our um, resolution suffer too much that, that we aren't getting meaningful um, measurements of what's going on in these, in these thunder, for example, a thunderstorm that might only be a few kilometers wide. So, so that's that's the, the technological challenge that that we're facing, and we're, we're thinking about how to address. Mm -hmm. And to make these kinds of measurements, what type of team is involved? How many? Uh, you, you mentioned the the Japan agency, other, and also your own agency. What kinds of teams are getting this job done? Right. So um, obviously, a, a major satellite like GPM. Um, probably couldn't exist without the contributions of, of thousands of people from um, the engineers and technicians to the, the scientists um, that analyze the data and everyone in between. Um, but, but right now, now that we're in kind of an operations phase and we're receiving the data, um, really to, to develop the precipitation products, we have a science team. Um, right now there's 60 principal investigators and each of those leads a team, I think on average probably three or four people. Um, not all of those are, are looking at developing the rainfall products, looking at range up size, but they're all, all involved in some aspects of the mission science. Um, as one of the, I'm as one of those, um, what I do is, is actually work on the algorithms that take the data that's collected by the satellite and convert it into the physical quantities such as raindrop size or rainfall rate or, or snowfall rate. And so on, on that side, we probably have a few dozen between here in Japan probably a, a dozen or maybe maybe 20 people working on various aspects of that problem. So it is an international collaboration. Um, it's, it's some pretty specific science work. A lot of these people have been working in this area for a decade or more. Um, and, and it's certainly challenging from a modeling perspective to, to re reproduce the measurements we have. Some of, for example, the, um, some of the, the new things that we're just starting to be able to do is you understand how snowflakes interact with the radar. Um, and in years past, it always been this assumption that snow could be represented as a spherical ball of an ice and air mixture. And we've, we've known for some time that that wasn't really representative, but we didn't have the capability to 
do anything more complex until probably in the last five to ten years we started to get these more accurate um, electromagnetic models of snowflakes and, and right now we're just starting to try to put those into our algorithm and see what difference it makes. So I think the area of snowfall measurements one that we're really still going to take a few years to um, take full advantage of, of the measurements that GPM is taking. And finally, what is most exciting to you about your, your work in this area? Oh, it's, it's, there's a lot of areas. I think um, one of the neat things about GPM is that not only is it a science mission, but it has so many applications um, that people can relate to because everyone is aware of precipitation and it affects everyone's life in some way. Um, whether they live in an area that gets a lot of rain or snow or, or a dry area. And so just getting to, um, I think, relate to individuals and, and I think it really, um, I can really see a lot of engagement with this issue and people are really interested in it in a more direct way than I think a lot of other, um, even earth science ones are certainly, I think, um, in space science, there are a lot of really neat things, but that don't necessarily um, relate to everyday life that, that people do here at Goddard. So I think that's, that's the most fascinating aspect to me is just the, I feel like it's working on something that's really vitally important.